In old school games, life is cheap. Don't be a dope. Bring your pole, oil, and rope. And try not to go down in a heap. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Down in a Heap podcast. I'm your host, Rob, podcasting to you live from beautiful Northeast Minneapolis. Today, I am trying to reconstruct a rambling... (laughs) monologue that I had in my car yesterday. Uh, It turns out that the the audio was really compromised by the road noise, and um, at points it was pretty hard to hear what I was saying. I initially decided I was going to release it, and I put it up for, I don't know, maybe, maybe it was an hour or two, and got some feedback that yeah this probably I mean I was I was concerned that it wasn't listenable I thought it might be just kind of borderline but the feedback I got was yeah maybe it, it really isn't listenable so I decided to take it down and apologize to those who uh, I don't know the half dozen or I don't know how many people actually listened to it before I took it down but um, today I'm going to try and reconstruct (laughs) that uh, under more controlled environment here. Uh, So hmm. first off, I was talking a little bit about the Swords and Wizardry Kickstarter and that they have released the digital um, rewards for that uh, in advance of the actual physical box set. So I've been looking at that a little bit. I haven't really had a whole lot of time to peruse it. It's it's more just first impressions. I like what I'm seeing. I think it's uh, the layout looks really good and clean. The uh, the extras that we got, the spell books and the spell cards, look pretty cool. The art I like for the most part, and um, and that's maybe my biggest. I don't know, head scratcher over this is, especially in the monster book, I mean, there are, there's less art than I was hoping for. It's, what's there is, I I like, it's done in a a very kind of old school kind of fashion, line art, monochrome. Uh, The colors vary uh, across the books. They'll use one color, in the player's book, a, a different one in the referees, a different one in the monsters. But what really leaves me scratching my head is, first, there are there are places in there where they could have put some art. I mean, there's some blank space, and I understand that you want to have some blank space, but there are some spots where it's like, well, you could easily have put a picture here. And But the primary beef is, especially in the monster section, I don't understand why game companies or individuals decide to pepper their monster book with pictures of ordinary creatures. Putting a picture of a wolf in or a picture of an octopus or a shark or a crocodile or anything like that, I just don't get it. We all know what those things look like. And while there might be really cool pictures of them in a book of that's largely a book of fantastic beasts. Uh, 
those are the things I think that really call for an image. Uh, and the, the ordinary things, I mean, we can all find pictures of that. I mean, we can find pictures of orcs and goblins and whatever too, right? But I think it's a lot more interesting to see the creator's uh, perspective or, you know, the art style behind the, uh, their creation and their idea of what some of these things look like. To me, that's far more interesting. And especially with a book with, that has new monsters in it too, because one of the stretch goals with the swords and wizardry box, that was more monsters, uh, more monsters from Matt Finch, uh, it looks like maybe two thirds of them are just, you know, monsters that are from a traditional source of old school D and D, uh, maybe called by a different name, um, when it's proprietary or something, but there are maybe a third of them just spitballing here are original monsters by Matt Finch. And some of them have pictures, some of them don't, but then to have a, a picture of an ordinary creature in there. Uh, supplanting what maybe they could have, maybe, maybe it's a cost thing. Maybe the, there's so much stock art out there of ordinary creatures that it doesn't cost much money to find, you know, to pay for a picture of a wolf or something, but I don't know. That's pretty much my only real beef with it. I think there's probably going to be, I mean, the proof will be in the pudding as far as um, when I get the physical copy. That's really what I'm interested in. I I have some concerns over this, you know, perfect bound small booklets. I I hope they, well, they're probably not going to lie, lie flat, right? So it's going to be something that you have to kind of hold in your hand. Um, thankfully, a game that's like Swords and Wizardry that um, I pretty much can run without consulting the rules very often. Uh, you don't really need to have the book open. Uh, but I would have preferred a saddle stitch kind of thing, but I know that's now becoming um, uh, a more difficult or obscure thing, like Lightning Source doesn't do it anymore and stuff. But um, anyway, I think when it comes out, it's probably going to be compared to old school essentials and uh, because the production values old school essentials is so high i mean the the construction of those books is um pretty much without fault i mean and the layout and stuff it's very very well done and comparing it to the swords and wizardry box set it's probably going to get lower marks from a lot of people uh, this is just my gut feeling i don't know and i don't know if that's a fair comparison or not i really don't remember what the cost was for the osc box set and how that compares to what the swords and wizardry box set is uh you know osc is hardcover and um, um swords and wizardry will be soft cover but, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I'll definitely give a review of it when I get it. Uh, but anyway, what I'm seeing so far, I like. The other thing is the I'm pretty excited about Glenn Seal and Richard Marple's new release, uh, Bats of St. Abbans. I finalized uh, the shipping on that. I also, <laughs> while I was there, 
as long as I was getting a package sent from England, I thought, well, what the heck, I'm going to add some other goodies that, um, that I'd like to get. So I, I picked up his chewer of fingers, which is an adventure that he, uh, put out, I believe early 2020. And then I have the first copy of the Mitterzine and I bought the other physical copies that were available for some reason. Uh, number two seems like it's out of stock for hard copy, but I picked up the other ones too. And oh my God, the shipping on this is uh, north of 30 pounds. And I'm not really sure what the dollar value equivalency of that is. Uh, I don't know the exchange rate, but it's nearly as much as the actual product is <laughs> itself. So I totally understand why the Brits uh, are often talking about being reluctant to to back physical copies of like zines and uh, RPG products that are made here in the States and shipped over over to the UK because, uh, yeah, that's, that's a lot. Anyway, uh, we'll get to the main part of the reconstruction of my conversation or my my conversation with myself, my monologue yesterday. So, uh, yeah, let's go to that. Take two. All right, this is probably stupid, but I ran out of time, and I'm gonna I'm gonna try and do the same thing. I'm gonna try and uh, record in my car on the way to work. So um, the roads aren't gonna be snow covered today. So hopefully that will have some change in the quality of the recording. I am also I've got one earbud in with I hope what is the microphone. Um, so rather than having my phone just sitting uh, next to me on the seat, uh, hopefully this will produce a clear recording. Uh, so what prompted my podcast attempt yesterday was the final topic on Froth's Thought Eater Wednesday show, which was not the one that's being dropped today, but a week ago, so that would be, what, like February 3rd? And his final topic was about uh, Wizards of the Coast's decision to de-emphasize the role that uh, your species, lineage, ancestry, whatever you want to call it, played in the character, the PC. So they are de-emphasizing some of these more traditional templates that have existed for elves and dwarves and halflings and all that. They are keeping the physical traits that uh, are represented uh, by, say, what the example Froth gave was the like an Aarakocra having wings. Well, you can you can fly if you're an Aarakocra PC. Or if you're uh, a turtle, uh, the turtle man, I mean, you do have a shell that provides some kind of defensive uh, benefits, presumably. And if you have, like, a dragonborn, you can, you've got, like, a little mini breath weapon and stuff. Uh, and, like, dark vision is, is also included. But there's no, like, set alignment preferences or requirements uh, there's no specified attribute adjustments, so it's not like this species always has a 
plus two on this stat and a plus one on this one and a minus one on this one. Now you're just able to you get those uh, as a player, you get those bonuses and you can apply them to any attribute you'd like. It's not predicated on the, the species you choose. Likewise, you get some kind of tool proficiency um, or, or skill or something that you can choose a la carte. It's not all dwarves have either brewing or mining or some kind of metalworking skill or something, stonemasonry. You can choose whatever you want. Um, and as is the case in just standard 5th edition, there's no restrictions on what class and what level you can reach as a non-human character. And Froth was uh, a proponent of these changes and uh, outlined why he felt that way. And, um, you know, I, I agree with a lot of what he said. I think there... First, let me say this. It's... D&D is now the property of Wizards of the Coast and they can choose to do with it whatever they want, and I have no issue whatsoever with that. That's their IP. They can do what they want. I think they're primarily motivated by, like most corporations, or perhaps all corporations, by the bottom line, and uh, they're gonna do, they're gonna make changes or put out product that they, uh, that they feel is going to be profitable and that their primary core audience wants. And I'm sure they've done a lot of market research on this. Uh, they, they get a lot of feedback, I'm sure. And like with most things, the loudest voices probably have the most influence on them or the biggest like social influencers on social media have the biggest impact on their decisions in this regard. Uh, but I'm sure what they've discovered is that the majority of their audience probably prefers to do away with this, and um, and that's that's fine. I, I, you know, most of the stuff with like the core rules that for D and D or Pathfinder or Traveler or whatever game system you have, whatever they put out to me is a little bit irrelevant because I'm just going to make the game whatever I like anyway. And I think there's a lot of people, especially in the segment of the hobby that I associate most closely with, like the DIY community, the OSR community, that's kind of the tradition. You know, that's what most people do. So, um, you know, Froth was saying there was a big, a big outcry about this, and I don't really cast a very wide net socially. Um, I'm not on Facebook. I don't have any Twitter. I don't, I don't look at Twitter or Reddit or any of these other social media platforms. I'm on several discords and I listen to a lot of podcasts, but that's the extent of it. And I have not heard any of these outcries and stuff, um, which doesn't mean that they're not happening. It just is, it's not something that pops up in my feeds. I was aware of it because I did hear several people discussing it and they weren't really fans of it and I'm not really either but that's you know I guess that's the point is that this is all stuff that you can do 
at your table. If you don't, if you don't want all uh, goblins to be evil, well, that's fine. Don't do that. If you want dwarves to be able to be, you know, the oddball dwarf that doesn't grow up living under the mountains, maybe he was raised by humans or whatever, and he knows some kind of woodcraft and uh, playing the mandolin or something instead of stonemasonry and mining. Okay, whatever, that, that's fine too. But I think the, the places that I feel like D&D has really been changing is the whole archetype structure and and this is just another way to kind of whittle away at these archetypes which were very prevalent in the original games and the early editions of the game there there's archetypes for classes there's archetypes for the various species and this this class level species uh, platform is based around archetypes. The the dwarves and the elves and the halflings were very specific, and uh, the the classes were very specific. They all had their strengths, their class abilities, and there wasn't much overlap between them. You didn't have a fighter able to move silently like a thief. I mean, there were surprise rules and stuff, but that was the Picking locks and climbing walls was the province of the thief. And casting spells is the province of the cleric and the magic user. We don't have fighters and thieves casting spells. But throughout the editions, all these things have been blurred. The, in second edition, introduced non-weapon proficiencies and skills. Well, I guess it was in the outdoor and dungeon survival guide, too, so that's where... I think it started, and in the first Gazetteer, Carmichael's, they've started doing that too, but um, there you started seeing things where, like for instance, the Ranger used to be the only class that could at least track with, with game mechanics involved, specific game mechanics. But in second edition, while, tra- while Rangers... Uh, automatically possess the skill the non-weapon proficiency other classes could take tracking and I think even rangers just automatically improved in it as they went up in level while other classes didn't so rangers were still the best trackers it didn't mean your thief or your cleric or your magic user couldn't take it and likewise a fighter could learn say spellcraft or something or religion and um, they might pay a higher cost than a cleric or a magic user, but they could still acquire it. And I know a lot of people like that kind of setup, and that's that's cool. But that's where you start blurring the lines, I think, between um, a class level-based game and a skill-based game. Uh, you can have these hybrids, but I don't think the the game concept works as well. And I think the choice of species kind of falls along these lines. I mean, it's it's fine to, um, to like what Wizards is doing and what I think Paizo has done as well, where you just have these, you know, kind of a la carte discretionary things to choose, and it doesn't really matter what race you are. You maybe have some built-in 
uh, things for being an elf or whatever, but they're not as uh, defined. They're not as... There's not, like, a, a specific set, a suite of skills. In D&D, it was all based a little bit around balance in that uh, the demi-humans all got this suite of powers front-loaded for them. Uh, they, you know, the dark vision, the maybe saving throw bonuses, resistance, mining skills, uh, a suite of languages uh, that they'd get, uh, maybe, like better chance to find secret doors or hear noises or surprise people if they weren't armored. I mean, there was a lot of different skills that each of the demi-humans had, and that's what made them distinct from one another. When you start having this as more of an a la carte thing, you lose the distinct nature of each of the species. Um, and again, depending on what kind of game setting world you want to have, and what type of game you want to play, that's cool. Do what, <laughs> do whatever is best for your table, right? Um, but the game has changed, and that's not necessarily a good or bad thing. I happen to prefer the old ways of doing things, as you all know, uh, to the point where, like, even in BX, I, where it's species as class, I mean, you can't get more rigid and defined than that. You you aren't a dwarf thief or a dwarf fighter or a dwarf cleric, you're a dwarf. And you, you play a dwarf because that's what you want to play, not because taking dwarf along with cleric is the best uh, combination of classes or class and species to give you the most uh, resilient, powerful, or otherwise effective character. And that's one of the reasons why I like the older versions of the game, because there are these strictures applied that take out what I see as kind of like optimizing and munchkin play in-game. It's, I mean, it's fine that, that you want to choose the best path available to you but to make the most effective character I, I don't really have a problem with that when, what I have problem with is where there's a combination that's inherently better than other ones and you start getting to the point of well why bother making a human thief when any other species is going to be a better one uh, that's when the game becomes problematic and likewise, if you just make things a la carte, people are just going to take, <laughs> to, in my mind, they're going to choose the best, like, species that gives them what they want, and then they're going to emphasize the attribute they want, and then take the class that piles on top of that to make the most effective whatever it is they want. And, you know, like I said, there's really... It's all a matter of taste. If that's the kind of game you want to play, that's cool. Whatever. And if that's if uh, that's the type of setup that Wizards wants to have for 5e and, and Dungeons and Dragons going forward, that's totally cool. That's that's presumably what their current fans want and new players of the game want. Um, I, 
I just find it a little bit, I don't know. I think it's strange that uh, you don't have drawbacks anymore. That seems to be the way they're going. So there's no, it's always benefits, there's no drawbacks. And I think the, the penalties and the drawbacks are interesting, not restrictive. Uh, the, you know, the fact that dwarves in old school versions of the game can't be wizards, to me is, is interesting. It's not like, oh, I can't be a dwarf wizard. It's more like, what are the implications of that? Um, if all elves have to be magic users, like BX, if they're basically a fighter magic user, what's the implication of that? I, I think that's interesting, and I think it helps flesh out the species so that they feel distinct from one another, and especially distinct from humans. And when you also have the setup where only humans can be certain classes, that creates a setting implication um, and an implied setting as well. If only humans are paladins or only humans are clerics, uh, well, why is that? Do the other species just not have like a religion or at least an organized religion like, like human cultures do? I don't know. I, I'm sure a lot of it is just, well, in fact, most of it is probably just, this is the way I grew up playing the game, so that that's my preference, right? And I'm, believe me, I'm not trying to stand in the way of, uh, of anyone changing the game. I think people should just play the game how they want, and that game companies and designers can do whatever they want with the products that they're making designing and uh, which kind of leads into another topic that's uh, just been floating around recently I mean it's something that's been going on for a long time or a topic that flares up every once in a while and the whole idea of gatekeeping and uh, uh, Greg Gillespie and Thaddeus Moore that was one of the topics on their OSR Blether uh, YouTube video or channel, program, whatever it's called, and uh, Jason Hobbs on Random Screed recently, yesterday, I think, dropped a podcast about that where he kind of reacted negatively and said it was what they, what Gillespie and Moore were saying was a little bit cringeworthy and stuff, and I don't, I guess I felt like we were kind of watching two different programs. Um, I mean, I to me, what uh, Gillespie and Moore were basically saying is kind of the same things that Jason Hobbs was saying, uh, maybe just from a different tack or something, or maybe they're bringing, they, well, we all have our own preconceived notions and experiences that, that color our perceptions of things, right? But uh, I think they were both saying the same things, that gatekeeping is dumb, telling other people... Uh, that they're playing the game the wrong way or that they're morally in the wrong from how they play a game is stupid. Uh, it's... I just... Why can't people... Uh, well, 
people are people. They're gonna they're gonna have opinions, and they're going to expect other people to conform to theirs. Or they're a segment of the population that just can't accept that someone else has a different idea or a different uh, value or conception of something. And it's the zealots that are the the dangerous people uh, in virtually anything, whether it's political or religious or even in gaming. Uh, it's those are the people that come in and basically try and destroy things, and that's kind of what uh, what I think Greg Gillespie's argument was was that there's there's a segment of the population in the, of the gaming population that don't seem to have a whole lot of interest in just making stuff, sharing uh, productive material like adventures or rule systems or house rules or sharing what they've, their experiences while they've been playing, you know, like uh, actual plays and stuff. It's more like they, they come in with their their zealotry and try and tell people that they're uh, that they're wrong-headed somehow. Whether it's because they happen to like a different version of a game, a different rule set, uh, or what's become more likely that they just don't they they read in these uh, social and political. Uh, ideas or they see these things that other people probably aren't even thinking about um, and make real world equivalencies with with a game and which I just think is strange um, I have no problem compartmentalizing what I do and what I think about a game or about a work of fiction or a movie or a TV show or a video game or music or any of this stuff from what my actual personal code of morality or beliefs or ideas of decorum are. It's, <laughs> it's a game. Uh, I... <laughs> I just don't get it, and gatekeeping is so dumb. It's uh, the idea that you can somehow, by screaming loud enough about something, force other people to conform is stupid. And uh, while it might be effective for some people uh, who don't want to think for themselves, uh, sadly that happens and we saw it right with the satanic panic that was the first and biggest threat that gaming ever saw was the fundamentalist christians in the u.s basically just deciding that dnd was was uh, associated with black magic and devil worship and they had no idea what the fuck they were talking about and uh, they with their like-minded people and those they influenced tried to condemn and, and ruin gaming and it had the exact opposite effect. Gaming became more and more popular and uh, if it didn't work then when the internet was in its infancy and people didn't have the means 
to have a platform, a communication platform to push back and to just kind of close ranks and and say, no, this is hogwash. Um, when unless you were interviewed by a journalist or something, you didn't really have a way to to get your voice out there. Well, now everyone has a platform, right? So to think that people are going to come in and say this and that about different groups of gamers and and hope to tarnish them or to force them to game in the way they want to game is just like trying to drain a river with a, a bucket. It's stupid and pointless. Uh, and the only reason they keep trying to do it is because they're just trying to well, they're zealots, and if they're not zealots, they have an ulterior motive, which I think is just probably to get more clicks and likes and whatever on their social media platform. <sighs> so I'm, I'm kind of, uh, I don't pay much attention to people that try to denounce others. What, what really bothers me is when people try to denounce whole segments of the gaming uh, sphere uh, by preference, by their in play style or additions, and tarnish them with uh, the hammer of the words and thoughts of the lowest common denominator they can find in that group. So they find the most egregious jackass they can who happens to play the rules or the um, that they're trying to uh, denounce and use that as an example of everyone is like this so everyone the OSR is some right wing um, nut job just because they they have found a few pod uh, streams by the RPG pundit or whatever, whoever the hell he is, or or some other goofball, and they think that everyone is like that. And the sad thing is, a lot of these people that are jackasses, who are zealots, actually put to put out some content and have some ideas that are are interesting from a gaming point of view. But you don't want to have anything to do with them because heaven knows what will happen if you. <laughs> If you actually think, oh, well, so-and-so actually has a, a pretty good product or something, because then then you get uh, people bringing out the torches and the pitchforks and coming after you, and it's, yeah, just dumb. Just dumb. Play your frickin' game however you want to play it. Talk about what you like. Talk about what you don't like, but don't expect other people to... Um, to conform and don't uh... <laughs> don't be a jackass alright I'm at work now who knows if this actually recorded well or not but if I do put it out thanks for listening and I won't be doing these kind of podcasts very often because I'm really not interested in them. I want to talk about gaming, not about the BS that goes around the gaming periphery. All right, don't go down in a heap.
See ya. I listened back to what I had recorded yesterday on my commute home yesterday just to verify that the sound quality was halfway decent. I guess that's the, the threshold for down in a heap. <laughs> I don't have uh, rigorous standards for production values, obviously, but I, it needs to at least be listenable. And if, the, if you can't hear what I'm saying or if there's background noise that's distracting and downright irritating and forces people to turn it off in frustration, uh, then I've completely failed. So, and what I had initially recorded fell into that category. I also just wanted to sleep on it though, before I released this, because I really was, or still am a little bit hesitant about releasing this. Not real, not at all the, the first things I was talking about, but the gatekeeping topic, because I don't even like giving it air. I think it's just so ridiculous. And then how other people use the term gatekeeping um, to signify things just that are campaign preferences and maintaining like internal consistency within a, a DM's campaign, something like saying... No, I'm not going to allow uh, this species because that species just doesn't exist in the setting or whatever. I mean, that's not gatekeeping. That's just <laughs> that's just maintaining, yeah, campaign integrity, right? And um, and DMs and players are allowed to have their their preferences, but if the, the to me the DMs run in the game, they're putting in all the work. So they should have the, the right of veto on things like that. And you can always play a different game. And you can make up your own game and have the setting however you want it, right? <clears throat> That's the beauty of these, these imaginary games, is you too can imagine the hell out of it. Um, it's also important to note that Jason Hobbs kind of... Uh, I don't know if he listened to the OSR Blether um, stream again, but he, I think, has come to a similar conclusion that I did, that they were both kind of saying the same thing, just in a different way. So he did add kind of a um, apology, retraction, something of that sort to his podcast, uh, his recent episode of Random Screed. So... I appreciate uh, his, uh, yeah, re-examining the decision or impressions that he had first had. I, I went back and watched it again, too, because I was, I really was kind of puzzled, thinking that, wow, did, it's, it's strange that we both watched the same thing and came away with these really different ideas behind it or impressions. Anyway, enough... Of, uh, of my blether. So, uh, later today, I'm going to release the Dragon Slayer episode, where I have a bunch of call-ins about Dragon Slayer, and I'll give my own impressions of the movie. Before, I'm going to even listen to the feedback I got from the other uh, callers. So, anyway, talk to you soon. Don't go down any heap.